It is good to see each of you this evening. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here tonight. If you would be open your Bibles to Romans, the second chapter. Romans, the second chapter. In just a moment, we'll continue a lesson as we've begun this morning looking at lies that Satan would present to us as it pertains to the topic of Judgment Day. We've had a wonderful day here at Mount Juliet Congregation. We are glad to welcome the Leitners and the Williams family. Uh, we're glad to have the opportunity to pray for one of our sisters. Uh, we're glad to celebrate the coming of a baby uh, with a shower. And it's wonderful to be back together again to worship God this evening. At lunch, the widows enjoyed a tremendous, delicious lunch at the Northern's house. And tonight, a newcomer's uh, dinner, uh, lunch fellowship meal will take place immediately following services. There's so much good going on. Make sure that you find your place to be involved in the Lord's work. Do keep in mind the seminar coming up. Be prayerful. Be in attendance. Be inviting someone. Also, remember to keep in your prayers and in your support in every way that Eek's family uh, during this time of tremendous loss in their life. Let's make sure there's a church family that we realize our responsibility as a family is to always pull together, to always strengthen each other, standing all in the unity of God's love and upon His doctrine. And if we do that, we will have accomplished great things in our life, all for the glory of God. When we think about the topic of Judgment Day, as we begun this morning, it's so clearly taught in the Scriptures. And it's not a difficult topic to understand if we just open the Scriptures and allow the Scriptures to speak. If it is so simple to understand, how is it that so many people around us in this community right now would not believe the truth about the judgment? They might not believe it intellectually, and they definitely don't believe it in the way that they live to apply those truths to their life. Well, we looked this morning at John the 8th chapter in verse 44, and we saw that Satan is the father of lies. We see that he stands in a lie, he speaks the lie, and all of his resources are from lies. Now, because of that, we're reminded of the fact that he is the one that distorts things, that deceives us, and causes us to believe that things aren't very important, that they're not a high priority, when actually they ought to be the very center of our thoughts every day especially as it pertains to judgment. When we think about a right relationship with God and think about that relationship as we stand before God on the day of judgment and hearing God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Friends, we can't overlook the importance of such a day and entering that day prepared. You remember the story that Jesus told, the parable of the ten virgins? All ten of them were a part of the kingdom. Let that sink in. All ten were a part of the kingdom. Five were not prepared. And five were prepared. Five were going to rely upon borrowing from others. Today, we sometimes use the expression riding on someone's coattails. Five thought they would be able to allow someone else to pull their weight spiritually. In some way, when the bridegroom came, that they would find themselves prepared. And that parable reminds us of how important it is for each of us individually to be prepared for the day of judgment. I know I asked you to turn to the second chapter, but let's begin by reading a verse, and we don't have a screen for this one, out of the 11th chapter. And as you're turning to Romans, the 11th chapter, let me give you a couple more uh, words of introduction of insight tonight. 
If you'll notice, folks on this side of the auditorium look real comfortable. If you'll notice, there's a lot of people fanning on this side of the auditorium. There's a reason for that. These people are sitting on the cool side, and these people are sitting on the hot side. Uh, This unit is out on this side. It was struck by lightning last week, and we're still trying to get it repaired. It works for a little while, and it goes down for a little while, and this is one of those little whiles that it goes down. Uh, So bear with us, and we'll try not to make this sermon too long, because one thing is hard to do is keep people's interest when they're hot, but we'll do the best we can do. Open God's Word. Let's study together, and as we're looking at this, think about a comment that was said to me as, as I went into the foyer this morning, and I really appreciated this comment. It was said in a very positive way. It said, hey, I appreciate that lesson this morning. It's been a long time since I've heard a lesson on Judgment Day. I remember growing up, we used to oftentimes hear lessons on judgment. Friends, when I think about Judgment Day is the day in which we're living to enter into. As faithful Christians, we can't wait for Judgment Day. It's not a negative topic. It's not something to dread. It's something that Christ tells us in Hebrews we can step forward with boldness, and it's a wonderful day of reward. When we make a mistake is whenever we try to approach everything from just one side or one angle. In Romans, the 11th chapter, listen to 20, 21, and especially 22. Verse 20, well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Now pause right here. If you were here this morning, you know we've been talking about, in the book of Romans, He speaks to the Jews very oftentimes that were descendants of Abraham, and they would boast in the fact that they must be saved simply because they were descendants of Abraham. For many of the Jews, it had not clicked with them that what was important was for them to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They would just rest over here on the fact of, hey, we're descendants of Abraham. God's going to accept us just like we are because we're descendants of Abraham. The book of Romans, when he speaks to the Jews, he's primarily approaching those Jews to say, you have to be so much more than just the lineage of Abraham. You have to be a child of God through Jesus Christ. Now, with this in mind, he says, and that's what he was talking about in 20 and 21 when he talked about the natural branch. In other words, just because you're a natural descendant, that's not going to cut it. Look at 22. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in His goodness, otherwise, you also will be cut off. We have a glimpse of Judgment Day here. And he says, I want you to see this glimpse of Judgment Day. I want you to see who's going to be cut off. Those that fall from Jesus Christ are those that are going to recognize the severity of God. But on the other hand, those that have become gods through Jesus Christ and they're living their life for the Lord through Jesus Christ, they're going to experience the goodness of God. Friends, in everything in life, balance is so important. And if I have some kind of concept of grace that doesn't always see with open eyes the severity of God, I'm not going to have a perfect picture of grace. If the only thing I see is the severity of God, but I do not see the goodness or the grace of God, I'm not going to have a clear picture of the severity of God. I can't appreciate fully one without understanding the other. And so tonight, I hope as we study this topic of judgment, 
that you realize we're not trying to address this as if judgment is just a terrible thing. We're trying to approach it from a balanced standpoint. It's wonderful for a child of God, but it's terrible for those who believe the lies. So let's think about a few more of the lies as we go back to Romans, the second chapter. Beginning uh, with this morning's lesson, one of the lies was that God would not condemn me. Well, we studied this morning. We saw the fact that God will condemn anyone that decides not to be his faithful child. Number two, God will believe my excuses. Well, if I tell others excuses and they believe it and I start believing it, the question is, will God believe those excuses on the day of judgment? And he says, no, you're inexcusable, old man. And then three, I can be my own judge. In other words, if I've grown accustomed, and and the Jews were very good at this, and and that's not a positive thing. They were very good at judging other people and thinking that simply because they judged other people that they themselves would find some measure of righteousness simply because they judged other people. We're not going to get to judge ourselves or each other on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, it's the word that Jesus has spoken. It's an open book test. That will be the authority, the standard by which the Lord judges us on the day of judgment. Now let's consider a fourth thing, and that is, do we believe that we will escape the day of judgment? Some people live as if it's never going to happen, or if it does happen, they're going to be able to be some great Houdini, and they're going to be able to just kind of step aside, and God won't find them, or God won't judge them. He even addresses that, in a sense, in the third verse of the second chapter. You see there, he's been talking about, in verse 1, those that judge other people, and yet they themselves practice the same thing. And he says this again in 2, except they're not going to be judged by what others say. They're going to be judged by the truth. And then in 3, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Here's the setting. Jew looks over at a Gentile that's, that's perhaps stealing. And this would go down to verse 20, 21, 22, and 23, this example. He'd say, you look over to a Gentile that's stealing, and you say, Gentile, you shouldn't be stealing. God's going to condemn you for stealing. But yet this Jew steals. But he thinks some way that he's going to be okay because, after all, he's a descendant of Abraham. And Paul's writing, and he says, listen. If you think some way, just because you've told other people what's right and what is wrong, and you can do wrong, and some way you're going to escape the day of judgment, you're not going to escape it. Look over in Hebrews, the second chapter. The Hebrew writer gives us tremendous insight to how important it is for us to recognize that the only way, and he uses the word escape just a little bit different here, so, so don't, don't lose this train of thought. It's not a perfect parallel. He uses the word escape here, talking about we can escape judgment, and what he means here is without any harm. We can escape it without damnation. But the only way we can escape judgment without damnation is to have a Savior. And so he writes in verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest they drift away. Notice that word, drift away. Things that we've heard, the Word of God, we need to give earnest heed. They might drift from us. In other words, they might not be an anchor in our life. They may drift away. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which is at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. How are we going to escape this day of judgment? Someone says, well, 
I just believe that I wouldn't have to worry about the day of judgment. No, all of us should be concerned about the day of judgment. How are we going to escape it without eternal damnation? Verse 1, don't drift from the things we've heard. Verse 3, don't neglect the things we've heard. There are atheists, people that literally hate God. That's not who he's speaking of here. He's talking here about people probably like you and I. People that we love God, but sometimes we get sidetracked. And we let the things that are real important start drifting away from us. We allow the things that ought to be front and center in our life, we allow them to start being neglected. How many of us would say to someone, don't you read that Bible? Don't pray. Don't you live a good Christian life? Well, none of us would, would hear would probably say that. But how many of us would have to say to ourselves, you know, I probably haven't read and studied lately like I should. I've just been negligent. You know, I probably haven't lived exactly the way I should lately. I've seemed to have kind of drifted from what God would want me to be. Friends, we're talking about something tonight that's easy to do. But I need to realize what the Hebrew writer is saying. It is easy to drift and it's easy to neglect, but I cannot escape judgment unharmed if I drift and neglect. That's powerful. It's easy to do And it's impossible to escape. And so we have a wake-up call. Satan would want us to believe the lie that, hey, you'll escape some way, don't worry about it. And God would say, no, keep it as your highest priority. Keep me first and foremost in your life. Live every day for the last day. Live every day for judgment day. Don't drift, don't neglect. In other words, be faithful, which takes us back to the topic last Sunday morning. Now let's look at a fifth thing. We see a fifth lie, and that is, I could still be selfish, I could still be disobedient, and in some way God will still save me. Is it really that big a deal if I'm a little bit selfish or just a little bit disobedient? This really comes out of the next several verses, where we're going to see this primarily is when we read verse 7 and 8. I'd like for you to notice 5 and 6 if you have your Bible open. And we're back in Romans, the second chapter. 5 and 6, 7 and 8 will be on your screen. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. Now, he's talking about the day of judgment for those who are lost here. You're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the, notice again what we have here, the righteous judgment of God. That's the only way God can judge, as we pointed out this morning. Who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now, five was the negative. Because we all will have to render a judgment based upon our deeds. Now, verse 7, he's taking that same springboard, and he's putting a positive spin on it in verse 7. Eternal life to those who by, I love this phrase, patient continuance. Remember last Sunday morning we studied steadfastness? This is another way to say steadfastness. Patient continuance in doing good, seeking for glory, honor, and immortality. Here it is, verse 8. 
but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, here's the result. Indignation and wrath. That's from God. Notice what it is to us. Verse 9, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Greek. You remember line number one, God wouldn't condemn me. There it is again, proof. Yes, God will condemn every soul that does evil. Look at 10, the positive side, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friends, again, I must let it be a reality in my life and in my convictions. I must be obedient. I must be unselfish. God has to come first in my life, and I must be willing to submit to Him. If I can say, you know, I don't fully submit to God, I need to dread judgment. And I need to dread it with so much fear that I change my life to where I can say, all of God and none of me. I'm totally unselfish toward God, and I'm fully submissive. I'm obedient to God, or we're not ready for judgment. Let's look at a sixth lie. A sixth lie is I'm special, so therefore I'll be judged differently. Verse 11, very short verse, but it says it clearly. For there is no partiality with God. God is not a respecter of persons. As you look over in 1 Corinthians, the sixth, or the 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, we're just going to quickly mention this one because we need to to um, move on to some of the other ones. But look at 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. He has given an athletic paragraph here about racing, about running. And verse 27 reads really not very athletic, but in the original Greek, even the words still carry with them an athletic tone. He says in 27, the reason we're reading this, if Paul, the one who did so much for the cause of Christ, was persecuted and sacrificed so much, if he says, I have to be careful because I might lose my soul, I think we can rest assured that God is not partial. James, the second chapter, we're told to have a faith like God, that, or like our Lord, who is not partial, is not prejudiced. And then he gives the example when the rich man comes in the service and the poor man comes in the service, and he says, you don't treat the rich man better than the poor man. God is not partial. He does not want us to be partial. Notice what Paul had to say. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. In the games, they would have a herald that would stand before the game started and he would herald the rules. He would tell everyone that was participating in that game, this is what the rules are. Paul is literally saying here, if we use the athletic terms, he says, I have to discipline myself lest I call out the rules for everyone else to know how to live. But yet, when I stand on the day of judgment, I'm disqualified. Oh, Paul, you did a great job telling everybody else how to live. But guess what? You didn't live it. You're disqualified. I wish I had time to tell you these two stories, but we don't have time. But in college one time, I sat down with a professor. Here's a brief version of both, okay? And, and 
I was concerned about my grade. I really wanted an A in that class. And the gist of his conversation, I read between the lines, and when I read between the lines and I saw what he's saying, I got out of there as quick as I could. Really what he was saying between the lines is, David, to me, you're an A student, and so don't worry about your grade. You're going to get an A. I said, hey, thank you very much. Got out of there. Didn't agree with it, but I'll take it. Then I had another teacher who was very, very unfair in their grading. Tracy and I had the same class. We studied together. We had the same answers on the test. He knew her father, a very well-known preacher over in Arkansas. She made 99s and 100s. I received C's. We had the same answers. Very unfair. He didn't know my parents. He didn't know me. He still didn't know me. Somebody walked up to me just two or three days ago and said, I met so-and-so the other day. He was preaching in a gospel meeting, and, and uh, he said he didn't know you, but he knew your wife. And I said, yeah, is that way in college too? All right, now... Now, I want you to think about this. You know, partiality can work both ways. Partiality can work both ways. Wow, that teacher was partial to me. I pulled an easy A. Wow, that teacher was impartial to me. I studied as hard as I could study, and the best I could get was a B, and I never missed more than one or two questions all year long on a test. That's a fact. We don't have to worry about that on the day of judgment. God is impartial. God is not going to start judging you and say, by the way, who's your parents? Oh, come on in. He's not going to say, who's your parents? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to have to. You're going to have to go now. He's not going to say, now, how old were you? How young? How rich? How poor? Which side of the tracks? Which country? Which nationality? How many talents? He wants to know, were you his faithful child? Period. That's it. He's impartial. And it doesn't matter who my grandfather was or how faithful my mother or father was. Friends, what matters is who am I in my relationship with God? That's all that matters. Let's look at a seventh lie. A seventh lie that Satan tells us is that I'll only be judged by my public sins. Do you see there in verse 16 of Romans, the second chapter? In Romans, the second chapter in verse 16, he's speaking about judgment day and he says, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now on this next slide, you'll see Ecclesiastes 12 in verse 13 and 14 And on 14 there, you see that we are judged by every secret. And when you look at Matthew, the 12th chapter, in verse 36, you see that even our idle words we will give an account for on the day of judgment. Friends, if I've conjured up some kind of image that whatever my perception is of the public, that's what my judgment's going to be on the day of judgment, I'm kidding myself. If I've got secret sin and and I say to myself, no one on earth knows this about me. And it's a secret sin. And I have convinced myself that on the day of judgment, because nobody else knows that, I'm not going to give an account for that. I'm believing a lie. Now note this. 
If you and I have sought God's forgiveness, that's the beauty of forgiveness. God forgives and forgets. And it's not brought up again by God. But if I haven't sought God's forgiveness, that secret sin that I think nobody on earth knows about, on the day of judgment, everybody that's ever lived will know about it as I stand before them and give an account for every deed. It is important what our public perception is because we need to be a good example. But I don't need to confuse that with the fact that that's how and the only way I'll be judged on the day of judgment. And finally, as we look at the eighth lie, if I'm living like everybody else, in other words, if I'm living like the majority, surely I'm okay. When we go over to the third chapter, Notice verse 3 and 4 of the third chapter. He says, and again, he's talking to these Jews again. And I know some of this because of of their culture and and what he was dealing with. It it, it may not make perfect sense to us just studying through like this today. But he says, for what if some did not believe? In other words, some of these Jews, even though they're of Abraham, they don't believe in Jesus. What if some of them don't believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Let's pause there for just a moment. Paul's saying, okay, so you have so many Jews here that don't believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. If that many Jews believe that, does that mean that God saying Jesus is the Messiah is no longer powerful? In other words, how many people does it take to make God look weak? How many people does it take for God to become weak? Well, notice the answer with an exclamation mark in verse 4. Certainly not. In other words, he's saying it doesn't matter how many people you have saying that the truth is not the truth. God's Word is still truth. It's still powerful. So that brings us to the rest of verse 4. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and you may be overcome when you are judged. He says, if you take every person in the world that agrees with the fact that it's not worth it to live your life as a Messiah, he says, I'm going to count every man a liar and God true. Do I realize that when Jesus spoke in Matthew the 7th chapter, he made it clear that the way to hell had a wide gate and a broad path and many will enter therein. And when he spoke of heaven and that narrow path and that narrow entrance, he said, few there be that find it. Now, I want to tell you something, and I have to be honest with you. For me to say this, even going over this lesson in preparation to preach to you tonight, it gave me cold chills to say this. I don't find any happiness in saying this. I'm simply saying this to you because it's the Word of God. There are more people in Mount Juliet, Tennessee on the pathway to hell than there are on the narrow road to heaven. That's nothing to gloat about. That is heartbreaking. But I need to know and understand the truth of that because if I've got in my mind that I can work in Mount Juliet and I can go to school in Mount Juliet and I can live in Mount Juliet and I look like the majority of other people, that's not a good sign. If I'm finding my comfort in being like the majority of my neighbors and God makes it very clear the majority doing wrong 
does not take away from the power of God. Let every man be counted a liar. God is true. Do I believe that? Or do I believe the lie that if if I'm just like most of my neighbors, I must be a good person, a good person that's on the way to heaven? God didn't say that. It's a sobering thought to think of judgment and to think about all the lies that Satan tells us. But it's a wonderful blessing to know that the truth is revealed and we can know exactly what God wants us to know. Tonight, are you ready for the day of judgment? For the child of God, it's a blessing. For those who are not faithful to God, it's a curse that's eternal. And the choice is ours. We get to choose. You've probably heard me use this illustration before, but I can't help it. I like this illustration because my mind is simple and I can relate to this. Do you remember that event that's bigger than the Olympics? It's fifth grade kickball. You remember that? Man, you just couldn't wait to get out there and play fifth grade kickball. It was huge. You had bragging rights for the next 24 hours if you were on the winning team. I want you to imagine, what if every day you go out for recess and it's not like it is where you get picked? What if every day the teams were there and you got to pick which team you wanted to be on and you knew 100% certainty which team was going to win? And every day you got to walk out and you got to pick the winning team. And you say, I want to be on this team today. And you walk over there and you win big. The next day you walk out and say, I want to be on this team today. And you walk out there and you win big. Now that'd be pretty fun. Something a lot more serious, but just as true as we get to pick which side we're going to be on for eternity. your choice right now we'll sing a song of invitation and you'll choose which side you want to be on nobody on the day of judgment is going to be cast into hell that didn't choose to be separated from God no one is going to enter into heaven unless they chose God and they chose to commit That's a wonderful thought. I get to choose if I want to be on the winning side, the victorious side, the side for eternity. If you've never been baptized into Christ, you get to choose right now if you want to give your life to the Lord, if you want remission of sins, if if you're ready to commit your life for a lifetime, if you're ready to repent, if you're ready to confess, you get to choose that. And if you choose that, it'll be one of the best decisions you've ever made. Maybe you've made that decision, but you've lost focus of the importance of it and the commitment of it, and you want to come back and you want to be steadfast. That's a choice that you get to make if you want to repent and come back. And it's a choice that if we stand on the day of judgment unprepared, we will regret that choice for eternity. We can help you in any way. Comes we stand and as we sing.